So you guys ready for the word this morning? Hallelujah. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your great love. And Lord, I just pray that as we dive into your word this morning, Father, that our hearts are prepared, our minds are prepared, our eyes are open so that we can receive what you have for us, Father. Lord, we know that scripture is profitable for us, and we pray this morning that we would grow in our faith, we'd grow in our knowledge of you, we'd grow in our love, and Father, that we would just have a greater revelation of who you are every time that we spend time in your word. So bless this time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series through 2 Corinthians. We've made it up to the second half of chapter 11. And uh, you guys been enjoying it so far? You guys getting something from it? Praise God. Well, today Paul is going to start with more of that foolish boasting that he's been talking about. And uh, the reality is, is that the false prophets, the false apostles, the ones he's been dealing with, they have been doing their fair share of boasting. They're coming into town, and they're really talking themselves up. And so Paul now has found himself in a position that even though he would prefer not to, because he understands that boasting is foolish, it doesn't make any sense, but even though he doesn't want to, he's put in a position that he actually has to, uh, has isn't a word, is it? He has to? Has to. I got the, uh, the trailer coming out in me there for a second. Hallelujah. He has to kind of stoop to their level to, to get through to the Corinthians. And he's required to act a little foolish. He's required to boast in his own accomplishments. But what's interesting about when Paul does it is he doesn't do it to actually lift himself up. It's not about boasting and, and boosting his own reputation, um, but rather it's, it's to... In truth, in truth of the matter, is to show how foolish boasting really is. Because as he's boasting like this, and, he's, he's, and you're going to see that he's constantly making the point that this is foolish, this is crazy, he's actually undermining the boasting of the other apostles as well. If he can show the Corinthians that boasting is foolish, then maybe they won't be so bewitched by the boasting of these false uh, uh, prophets. It's in order to undermine what they are doing. Because the reality is, is that they're boasting was complete foolishness, and it actually had no merit. You know, when you understand that everything that we have is from God anyway, to boast in your own accomplishment seems kind of silly. But even in Paul's boasting, you're going to see something a little bit different. He, he, he quickly talks about some of the good things in his life, but then he starts to boast in something that you don't see people boast in all that often. He boasts in his weaknesses. Even when Paul boasts, he does it differently than everybody else. Because he wants to boast in his weaknesses because in our weaknesses is when God shines the brightest. The problem is, is if you're really good at something, you can claim that, oh, that's all me. I'm just good at that. But if you're terrible at something and God is using that area in your life, then it has to be God. Because the truth is God moves in our weaknesses, amen? Well, let's get started. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 18 says, If I, I, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. You notice he's really trying to point out that his boasting is foolishness. He says, listen, suffer me to be a fool for a while. Because Paul really believes that boasting is a foolish endeavor. He actually doesn't want to do this. But he feels like he's left with no choice because apparently the Corinthians are responding to this boastfulness. 
But he does want to be very, very clear that he is acting foolish. He wants the Corinthians to really understand that, look, I'm going to do this. Suffer me for a little while, but understand that I, I know this is foolish. He knows he's acting foolish. And here's the thing, that when most people boast, they don't know that they're acting foolish. When most people boast, they think that they're building themselves up. And truthfully, have you ever met people that have to one-up everything? Have you ever met those people that you tell a story, something's happening, and they're like, oh yeah, well listen to what happened to me. And they just continue to always try to one-up you or do something better. The truth is, is that we all understand that, that those people are foolish. Most of the time it just annoys us. It doesn't build them up, it just annoys us. And the thing is, is we don't see greatness, we just see pridefulness. And Paul's concerned about that one. He doesn't want to be boastful. He understands that he's acting a fool. He's not trying to lift himself up, and he hopes the Corinthians see that. But apparently the, the Corinthians have been uh, just led astray by these false apostles. They're not seeing that it's annoying. They're not seeing that it's prideful. They're kind of buying into it. So Paul says that, uh, listen, I want you to put up with a little foolishness for me. He says, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. You see, the, the Corinthians have been putting up with the foolish boasting of his rivals, and he figures that if you can put up with them for a little while, maybe you can put up with your own apostle being foolish for a second. And this will certainly be out of character for Paul. That's what's so interesting about this is, is I wonder how Paul felt going through this. I wonder if he, like if he had to really push through this or if he just really, have you ever done something where you just feel silly and awkward? I wonder if that's how he felt while he was doing this. He had that internal feeling. But see, he's normally not self-congratulatory. Paul is normally, uh, doesn't act according to worldly standards. He's not trying to fit in with the world. That's not his, his, his purpose. And he certainly doesn't normally evaluate himself according to, to others. He doesn't, he doesn't compare himself to other people, and he doesn't try to, to, to meet other people's standards. The truth is, is Paul is secure in his relationship with the Lord and, and the purpose that God has given him. And he says he's doing this, and he understands that this is not something that the Lord would, but as a fool, this is not something that God would approve of. Isn't it interesting that Paul is having to use something that even God wouldn't approve to to get through the thick skulls of the Corinthians that have been so led astray by these other people? You know, sometimes that, uh, that happens to us, I think, too. Sometimes we need to be knocked across the head every now and then to hear what God is saying. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys always hear and understand what God's saying and walk right along with it. But me personally, um, yeah, I, I, truthfully, I don't have a, a super difficult time hearing God. My biggest issue is I don't always listen. But this thing is, is Paul's going to boast. He knows it's foolish, and, and he recognizes there's two huge flaws in boasting. One, when you're boasting in yourself, you're not boasting in the Lord. And we've already talked about Paul saying last week, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. And two, he doesn't like it because whatever you're boasting in actually isn't boastworthy. You know, it would, it would be like if, if you saw one of your friends paint this, this awesome, beautiful portrait and you begin to talk about how awesome you were because they could paint good. That's basically when we're boasting, that's what's happening. We're, we're boasting in our own talents and abilities without realizing that the only reason we have these gifts, talents, and abilities is God gave them to us in the first place. We're boasting in his work as, as if it's our own. So what we're boasting about is actually not boast-worthy in regards to our own selves. But Paul says, you know what? I'm willing to temporarily act like a fool so I can get through to the Corinthians and really show them how foolish these false apostles are being when they boast 
like what they're boasting like. And by explicitly stating over and over and over he's boasting like a fool, the purpose is to undermine the boasting of the, the false apostles that are coming around. Because here's the thing, wanting to be better than someone in terms of status is pretty foolish. Wanting to show yourself better in terms of status is even more foolish. And Paul really wants them to get that, to understand that. Like I said, the truth is, is once you realize that everything that you've been given has been given to you by God, you realize you have nothing to boast at at all because he gave you everything. That's actually what almost caused my world to fall apart when I was a, a, a young Christian, really not even much of a, a, a practicing Christian at all. Um, I was good at a lot of things, and I thought that I could do life without God. I didn't need him, and it's, it's funny how patient he was with me for so long. But then finally God said, okay, you think you've got it all figured out on your own? And he just stood back a little bit, and I watched my life fall apart around me. And I realized that everything that I had, God had given me in the first place. It wasn't me at all. Because it turns out all the, the boasting, even if I wasn't doing it out loud, I was doing it internally to myself, was foolish and not actually boastworthy of. And here's the thing, when Paul boasts, he's not doing it to lift himself up. He's going through the motions, but he's not actually <laughs> trying to build himself up. He's trying to show that the Corinthians are foolish because here's the thing, Paul's not concerned with his reputation amongst, amongst these people other than in the sense that if he has a poor reputation, they won't be able to respond to the gospel. He's not looking for pats on the back. The thing is, is Paul is genuinely concerned with the Corinthians and the whole reason he's going through this entire exercise is that hopefully their eyes will be opened and they'll once again get back on track with serving God with with pure devotion instead of being distracted by all these other things. And then in verses 11, 19 through 21a, I kind of split this verse in half because it's, it's like two different thoughts in the same verse. If you guys, most of you guys know I've said it before, but the truth is, is verses were put in well after the Bible was written, and sometimes they're in weird places, whoever decided to put them where they're at. Now don't get me wrong, it makes it super easy to find a verse so we can all go to the same place, but it's not perfect. 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen through 21a. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So now he's actually jabbing at the Corinthians a little bit. He says, look, in all your wisdom... You know, you guys, that's what he says here. You gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. They're, they're so wise that they don't even see this stuff coming. It's almost like uh, the extreme example. You guys you know the story of the, the emperor and his, his golden clothes? You know, so he's, he, he's got the, the, this, uh, uh, what do they call that? The people that weave clothes. Taylor. That's not the word that was trying to come in my head. So they got this tailor comes in, right, the, this story, and he tells the emperor that he's going to make him, he needs a bunch of gold, and he's going to make golden clothes for the emperor, but you have to be worthy to see them. So the tailor gets to work, and ultimately he hands the clothes to the king, and there's nothing there. There's no clothes at all, but the king doesn't want to be shown unworthy, so he pretends he can see them. And he puts them on. And everybody knows that you have to be worthy to, worthy to see these clothes. So then he goes on this big parade through town. And everybody, nobody else can see the clothes either. But they all pretend that they can because they don't want to be thought unworthy because they're so wise. They're so worthy. 
And then finally, one of the kids says, hey, but the emperor's not wearing any clothes. And they finally realize that they've been duped. That's kind of like the Corinthians. They're so wise that they don't want to admit that they're being duped. They can't even see that they're being duped by these false apostles. And it seems that they've exercised a little bit of boasting and pride in and of themselves when they think of themselves this way. But this wisdom of theirs has only led to their deception. He says, you bear with fools, and they've made slaves of you. They've devoured you. They've taken advantage of you. They've put on airs. That means that they've pretended to be something that they're not. And they even strike you in the face. These, these people think of themselves so highly, and they think they've picked the right people. They think that they've, they've picked the right apostles, that if this apostle would come up and smack them in the face, they would take that. Say, oh, it's, it's because he's so good. This must be the right thing to do. Maybe this is how apostles that come from Jerusalem, maybe this is how they teach their, their, their disciples. The truth is, is that there's always going to people, be people out there that only want to take advantage of you, that only want to pull the wool over your eyes. And truthfully, church, as we're going through this portion of it, one of the things that we have to remember, that we have to learn from this, is that we need to be diligent. There's going to be people out there that are teaching false doctrines and false gospels, teaching a false Jesus. And we have to be diligent and we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. We have to understand what the Word says so that we can compare what they're saying to it. We have to be ready to, to see these people coming in because sometimes they just want your money. Sometimes they just want to have power and authority over you. And that's likely what's happening here. These apostles are coming in. They're trying to, to, to weasel in on Paul's work to gain status and reputation. And obviously we saw last week that, that there's this idea that they're accepting payment for them to come down and teach too. So they're trying to get rich and have power. And church, we have to be diligent about who we allow to speak into our lives in this way so that we're not led astray. And here's the thing. Paul's wondering, if you guys won't put up with me, when I'm speaking the words of God and the wisdom of God, maybe you'll put up with me if I speak a little foolish, if I boast a little bit. Maybe you'll somehow elevate me to the same status as these false apostles. Because for some reason, Paul says here, he says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. What was he too weak for? He was too weak to make slaves of them, devour them, take advantage of them, to put on error, strike them in the face. So he's being sarcastic here. He says, we're just too weak for that. So he wonders that, well, maybe if I come in acting like them, since you seem to think that this is a good thing, you're so wise and liking how these people are treating you, maybe if I come in looking like them, you'll listen to me again. Not so he can lift himself up. He just wants to get them back on track. Amen? The thing is, and it seems strange in my eyes, but the, the reality is, is that it's always easy to read these things and have that hindsight and go, man, these people are being crazy without realizing that in many ways we do a lot of the same stuff ourselves. But somehow, Paul's sincerity and concern and love for them had been turned into a weakness instead of an incredible strength. The Corinthians truly had been deceived. But then he continues on in 2 Corinthians 11, 21b through 23. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. Here's that again. He wants to make sure that they know he's acting foolish. He says, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. 
Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with a far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. So now Paul is actually going to really get into this foolish boasting that he's talking about. And he's going to start talking about who he is, some of his accomplishments. If this means so much to the Corinthians, well, here, let me tell you a little bit about myself. But once again, I want everyone to understand as we read this that how, how important he thinks it is for the Corinthians to know that this is foolish. I think Paul is a little embarrassed to talk about this stuff. It's almost like the way he comes across with all the sarcasm and the tone, it's almost like he's just trying to, to get through it and make a point so we can move on to things that are more important. It's important that they understand this, and it's important that, that when he boasts, they know it's foolish because it does undermine the other ones there, the other, these false apostles, the super apostles as he referred to them last week. The first he says, I'm a he. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. And this would have been used as a boast by the, the, the false apostles because it, it talks about their heritage and where they're, they're coming from. And basically, these false apostles are coming through and saying, well, of course we can preach the gospel. We're from a people that were set apart, designated by God. I mean, look, God gave us his own religion. He set us apart. He gave us land. Even the practices that we have, the way we live our lives, this is stuff that God has given to us. So they're using that as somehow to boast that, that God has sent them so that they have some credit when they're talking to him. And, and, and he says, you know what? I am too. And then he goes on to say, are they Israelites? So am I. Here's the same thing. This is another designation that these people are, are, are set apart by God. These are God's very own people. And actually, when we read this, it's quite possible that this Hebrews part here is not so much about heritage, but it's actually just about the ability to speak Hebrew. It may be because he, this, this Israelites portion covers the, the same thing, that they're God's chosen people, that the first part was like, yeah, I'm not only am, am I an Israelite, but I, I'm also part of the group that actually speaks Hebrew. I wasn't brought in later. I'm, one of the, I'm the real deal. Then he goes on to say, are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. You know, Paul actually gives more detail in Philippians 3, 4 through 5. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. That's actually his lineage, just to the tribe of Benjamin. The Hebrews of Hebrews as the law of Pharisee. You know, it's interesting that the Corinthians aren't the only people that seem to need this boasting to get it through their thick heads that Paul is worthy to be listened to. Paul came across in humbleness, just like Jesus would have, and somehow they take it as weakness. But he says, look, I'm, 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 a, I'm an offspring of Abraham as well. And then he goes on. Actually, one of the things interesting to me about these boasts is that we know today that none of these things are requirements to be a minister of the gospel. You don't have to be a Hebrew, an Israelite. You don't have to be an offspring of Abraham. That's good, or otherwise I'd be disqualified. And I imagine most of you in this room would be disqualified, if not all. But it's not just nowadays that we say that. I mean, Paul trained Titus and Timothy. They both had Greek backgrounds. They certainly weren't Hebrews. They certainly weren't Israelites, but, but Paul trained them up to be ministers of the gospel. And even John the Baptist, he said this in Luke 3.8, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. 
none of this stuff is a qualification to be a minister of the gospel. So it seems strange to me that anybody that they're boasting about this. But for some reason, the Corinthians held that in great esteem. And then finally he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. You know, in hindsight, we, we know we've seen Paul's lives. We have it written down for us. And we know what an incredible servant Paul actually was. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he talks about it. He says, I went through gr- great labors. All the traveling he did. He was in prison for his work. He was beat countless times. And oftentimes he was driven near death to serve Jesus to make an impact. And the reality is is that I don't think any of these false apostles could make any of these claims. They were coming in for the easy money-making scheme. They weren't coming in to actually be dedicated to Jesus and do whatever it would take. And over the next few verses, we're going to see Paul go into a little more detail about what he's been through. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 25, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea. So this idea of 40 lashes, it was a punishment that's actually described in Deuteronomy 25.3. If you want to read about the, 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 the punishment for, for this particular type of punishment, that's where it is enacted. And it's, this isn't a, a Jewish punishment. For Typically it's used for... Um, uh, uh, doing something wrong, preaching the wrong thing, uh, being at odds with, the, with their faith. Um, and Paul probably gets into this mess because uh, preaching Jesus is considered blasphemy to the Jews. And it's, it's interesting. Has anybody ever wondered why it says, I received the Jews the 40 lashes, less one? Anybody ever wondered about that? What the less one was all about? So here's the deal. <laughs> 40 lashes was the prescribed punishment for blasphemy and all those other things. But if you did more than 40, you'd, that would be considered a sin. You're only allowed to do 40. So typically the rabbis would only have the people doing the flogging only do it 39 times just in case if they lost count, they wouldn't go one over and wouldn't be accidentally sinning. That was the whole purpose. So it was always, they always did 39 just to be safe. Kind of like the whole baker's, the, the baker's dozen rule too, right? You remember the baker's dozen? So it used to be that if a uh, baker sold a dozen that didn't meet the, the exact amount, the right weight, then they could be, uh, they could be imprisoned or, or even killed. It was pretty severe punishment for, for giving out not enough in a dozen. So the baker's dozen became 13 just to be safe. And they would give the extra, the extra one. But this, this lashing that Paul went through, this is pretty rough stuff. This is a, uh, uh, the lashes were made of leather strips, oftentimes bone or pieces of metal on the end of it. So that way when you got hit with it, it was more painful and it would actually rip away flesh from your back as they would do this. So Paul went through this five times. And none of these are actually mentioned in the book of Acts. This is, this is when Paul mentions it. But five times he was dragged by the Jewish leaders and flogged for the gospel. In addition, it says he was, three times he was beaten with rods. Now, this would have been the Romans beating him because the Romans were the only ones allowed to beat with rods. So now he's, he's in trouble with the Jewish authorities. He's also getting in trouble with the Roman authorities. 
And one such incident is actually recorded in the book of Acts. This is Acts 16, 20 through 22. It says, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. So that's one incident that's going to happen. It at least happened two other times that he was beaten with rods. And then he says he was stoned for the gun. Can you imagine what Paul went through and he keeps just getting back up? I mean, this guy was sold out. You know, I think about would I keep going if I was going through, and I, if I was going through that much? And I pray that I do. That's one of the things that I pray for strength. As we talked about uh, not, too many, not too many weeks ago when I talked about being ready and in the days of Noah and the stuff that's coming um, you know, I don't know when the end is coming, but we're certainly li- living in the last days. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, five days or, or another 2,000 years, but the truth is we need to be ready, and it's going to get hard. And I pray to have the courage and strength that Paul had to put up with anything but still be strong and secure in my faith. He also got stoned by rocks. Not what some of you heathen are thinking up here. Paul was drug outside of the city in Lystra. This one's actually recorded in the book of Acts in Lystra. Acts 14, 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. This is a crazy story. I love this story because Paul gets there. And uh, you'll remember that uh, uh, he gets stoned to death, almost to death, he gets back up, brushes himself off, walks back into the city, finds, stays the night, finds Barnabas, and they head out again the next day to preach in a different city. They, 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 they left him for dead. He was that beaten the day before, and he gets up the next morning and heads out to preach. That's crazy to me. But I pray that that's the, the type of, of godly man that I am if that time ever comes in my life. And then he goes on to say, Three times I was shipwrecked. By this point in Paul's life, he was already shipwrecked three times. And then he says, a night and a day I was, I was adrift at sea. Now you have to think about this. This to me is quite evident that, of, of multiple evidences, but that God was active in Paul's life. You know, we get lost. Somebody shipwrecks and gets lost at sea today. Your chances of being rescued aren't all that great. And we have technology, we have the, the stuff on the life rafts to help you stay alive, I and mean, we have so much more advancements in this area. Think about back then. If you get shipwrecked, and he survives, he spends a day and a night at sea, and he still survives. And the worst part is, this isn't even the last story of Paul getting shipwrecked. It happens at least one more time on his way to Rome. Paul was willing to endure anything, to labor far greater than any of these false apostles. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 25, sorry, we just read that one. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six through 27, he says, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You see, in addition to the beatings, the stonings, and the shipwrecks, 
Paul was on the road all the time to practice, to preach the gospel. And the thing is, is that these false apostles likely went to where someone, to where people had already been, particularly to where Paul had already been. So Paul is putting in the effort. He's doing the traveling. He's enduring the suffering. And these false apostles are coming in behind him trying to, to take advantage of the work that he's already done. But Paul risked his life on every single journey to reach the lost in those areas. And the truth is, is particularly in those days, the road wasn't always safe. It was a rough time traveling back then. Robbers, he says here, danger from, from robbers, that was a constant problem in those days. And there was always the risk that he was going to get robbed or killed just to make it to the next city so he, that he could preach the gospel. In addition, Paul's own people, the Jews, were always trying to orchestrate his downfall. And it seems that, one, it seems that these who are opposing Paul right now are likely Jews coming down from, from Jerusalem claiming to be apostles. Um, but they're, they're trying to orchestrate his downfall. They're trying to undermine who he is and what he is teaching. Matter of fact, Paul's first visit to Corinth, he was dragged before the governor of Achaia, which is just the, the area in Corinth, uh, in order to stop him from preaching. This was in Acts 18, 12 to 13. When, uh, verse 12, when Gal Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Everywhere he went, Paul's own people were trying to undermine him. And then if the Jews weren't enough, the Gentiles had also opposed Paul. <clears throat> Danger from the Gentiles. We see this both in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Philippi, in Acts 16, 19-24, you can read about that, but that's the story of Paul and Silas being thrown in a prison in Philippi. Ultimately, we know the story there. They start singing and worshiping. An earthquake happens, all the walls fall down, and they end up getting the jailer and his whole family saved. In Acts 19, 23 through 31, uh, we can see what happens in Ephesus. If you remember, um, there was Demetrius the silversmith who made those little silver shrines to Artemis. He was losing a lot of business as Paul was preaching the gospel and people were getting away from false gods. So what do they do? They dragged him before the courts again. Actually, that one, they, they caused a riot because of what they were doing. And then in the, in the worst in my eyes is he says, we have danger from false brothers. These are people who are claiming to be Christians but weren't really Christians that were somehow just trying to take advantage of what Paul was doing. These are people that, that Paul probably likely trusted because they were Christians, but instead they were looking to stab him in the back at every order. So it seems like Paul's in, in trouble and in danger everywhere it goes. He's danger. In the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Everywhere he goes, Paul is in danger in some way, shape, or form. In order to, to preach the gospel to all, he worked hard and he endured so much. He paid such a price to do so. It says that he went nights without sleep. He was often hunger and thirsty. He had no food. He, he was exp uh, dealt with exposure, the, the, the freezing nights out there on the road. But it was also that he could reach people for the gospel. And certainly, none of these false apostles that were coming through could make these same claims. And it's interesting that the first three, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm an offspring of Abraham, these are boasting in, a, in what would be considered a strength. And now this whole chunk of boasting would be boasting in areas of weakness. This isn't where Paul looks strong. This is where Paul was struggling. And he says, I'll boast in that. 
And he goes on in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight through 29. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? One thing Paul could certainly boast about that none of these false apostles could is that he had a genuine concern for the churches he planted, the, the, the people that he discipled. He loved them. And he was continually thinking about the spiritual health of these churches and of, of these Christians. I mean, this is evident in every letter that he writes, how he, he talks about them. He says, I'm, I'm constantly praying for you. And the truth is, is that there are so many ways young churches and young Christians could get taken advantage of. I mean, persecution was really going on hot and heavy at this time. And, and persecution could come in and they could, they could make ultimatums. You either change some of your theology or doctrine to fit what we want, compromise, or they faced uh, sometimes even death. Persecution was a big thing. So Paul, that's one of the things that concerned Paul. What about quarreling and inner strife in the churches? That's something that concerned Paul. Matter of fact, that was the whole, uh, a big chunk of the subject of the first letter to the Corinthians because they were all concerned about who baptized them. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? You know, they were claiming, I'm of the, the, the internal quarrel and strife. Paul didn't want that to happen either. So he was concerned about the, these, these churches. And then obviously, as we know from this letter, <laughs> false teachers could come in as well and try to undermine what he's taught them, bringing a different gospel, bringing a different Jesus. And, and Paul was concerned that these churches wouldn't persevere in their faith. He was concerned that they were going to get pulled away. And like I said, that's evident in every letter he writes when he prays for them. And he talks about how he's constantly praying for them and they're in his prayers and he loves them and he's praying for strength and all of those things. Matter of fact, one of the greatest ways you can learn to pray for one another is just read for how, how Paul prays for the other churches. You don't know how to pray? Just repeat what he says, and you'll be good to go. The thing is, is Paul wanted nothing but the best for his churches. And he says here, who is weak, and I am not weak. You know, the truth is, is that when Paul looked at people who were, who were weak, they were struggling in the church, it concerned him. And when I first wrote the notes for this, I couldn't find the right way to describe it because I don't think that Paul thought that them failing was a reflection of himself. But I do think that there was a part of him that felt like when people fell away, it was, a, it was potentially he felt guilty because maybe he didn't teach them the right things or he didn't teach them enough or he didn't put enough in. You know, so that's what he says, who is weak and I am not weak. He says, who, basically he empathizes with what they're going through. Who is weak and struggling and I'm not impacted the same way and I don't feel weak, and I don't struggle. And then he goes on, and who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. Who is, who is torn away, and that Paul isn't upset by what's going on by this injustice? Because Paul was impacted by the church, by the people that were in his church, and when they were struggling, and when they fell, and when they were pulled away, that impacted him, and it bothered him, because he, Paul genuinely cares for these people. He loved them with everything that he had. I imagine he wondered why the Corinthians couldn't see that. You ever had somebody in your life that you love them and you're trying to do the right things for them and you just feel like they can't see it? It's like somehow they're, they're missing it. I wonder if that's how Paul felt. And then we'll finish here in 
verses 30 through 33, he says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. That's what we were talking about. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Everything Paul's been talking about is not your normal boasting. He's boasting in his difficulties, struggles, his weaknesses, and he's having to do this in order to defend his integrity and his apostolic authority, apostolic authority. And he would prefer to, to boast in his weaknesses because it actually shows where God is moving in his life. It actually shows, for, for someone to survive all that stuff, to continue to preach the gospel, demonstrates that God is at work in that person's hands. The shipwrecks, the beatings, all the stuff that many of us would say we don't want any part of that, Paul saw it as an area to boast because he knew that God was with him, getting him through each and every one of those. And our weaknesses is where it's obvious that it's God and it's not us. And Paul finishes with this story. And many of you probably already know it, but this is right after this story right here where he's let out of the city is right after Paul was converted. You remember he started and he hated the church. He thought they were blasphemous and he was out there pulling Christians from their home and he stood by as Stephen was murdered, holding the coat of those who were stoning him. And Paul was out there killing Christians because he thought that they were being blasphemous. And if you want to read about this story, if you haven't yet, it's in Acts chapter 9. But it's an interesting story because for Paul to get out of this situation, to be let down to a wall, he couldn't boast in his, his, his background. Him being a Hebrew wasn't enough that was going to save him from this, this king here, or this governor here. Um, him, him being a good speaker, which actually it seems that Paul probably wasn't, but his background, his history, his understanding of the scriptures, none of that was going to get him out of this. He needed God to help him. And it was other Christians that put him in a basket outside, hanging outside the wall so that he couldn't be found, so he could finally sneak away in the night. And I think this was probably, uh, the obviously there was a turning point when God sees, or when, when Paul sees Jesus, right? When he's, he's on the road to Damascus and he's blinded and Jesus speaks to him. That's the first turning point. But ultimately, I think this is when Paul starts to see what's really going to be happening to him for the rest of his life. This is a turning point in Paul's life. This is where the rubber meets the road, if you will, because Paul walks into this city with his head held high. Paul walks into this city because the high priest had given him authority to arrest Christians in this city. Paul walks into this city at the top of his game. He's in authority. Nobody can touch him. He has authority to rip these Christians out. But then after his conversion, after he meets Jesus, now he's forced to sneak out of the city under the cover of darkness. He couldn't even walk through the city gates, let alone command the elders and the guards and those who were, who were there. Something had changed. Paul was told by Jesus that he must suffer for him. This was told actually to Ananias, which I'm sure he shared the message. But in Acts 9, 15 through 16, uh, Jesus is talking to Ananias, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, when you have a prophecy, someone speaking prophetically over you, say God's going to use you, 
these aren't the words that you want to hear. You know, God is speaking to him and says, I'm going to use you, but let me show you how much you're going to suffer. And we see in Paul's life, he suffered greatly. I think, though, this is Paul's first experience of what that was going to look like. He says, you know what? I'm going to boast in those weaknesses. I'm going to boast in that suffering because God is there in my weakness. God shines in my weakness. I can't claim that it was me that got me through these nights, that got me through the beatings, that got me through the stonings, that got me through the shipwrecks, who got me through being adrift at sea, who got me through the floggings. I can't say that it was me that got me through that because I don't have enough strength to get through that stuff. But God got me through that. That's the reality is that God shines in our weaknesses. That's why he chooses the foolish to shame the wise. Because it's got to be him. So church, as we end today, as we look at the scriptures, the, the reality is, is that all scripture was written for us to grow. For us to learn. And when we look at this, the things that stand out to me is, is really this, this moratorium on boasting. We need to be careful in what we boast in. If we're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Be thankful for what he's done in your life. Be thankful for the things that he's given you. And in anything that you, you feel like that, that you're accomplished, recognize that the only reason you're accomplished is because God made it that way. And recognize that, you know, one of the things that, that uh, has always been apparent from the beginning when I started preaching, from when we started preaching in my house, is that I stumble over words all the time. And that's why you see Monique up here laughing half the time when I'm preaching. I'll stumble over words, and I try to fix it, and it's because my brain moves too fast and my mouth doesn't keep up. And, and, uh, but speaking eloquently and with great dictation is not one of my giftings. But God still uses me to speak every day to you guys. And it's certainly not my own ability because apparently I kind of suck at it. Did you just have your phone all men to me saying I suck at speaking? That hurts. Oh, <laughs> Those of you who are listening online right now, what just happened is I said, apparently I stink at speaking, and her phone goes, amen. <laughs> well, that's what it sounded like. I know. Hurts deep. Hurts deep. You know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, Amen. But here's the deal. God uses my weaknesses to accomplish something. And it's not me. It's him. And every single one of you have those areas in your life where God works in your weaknesses. And it's not to say that he won't use your strengths either. God gave you those strengths. But it's in your weaknesses where, it's tr where you can really see it's God moving. Amen? So that's one of the things that we need to understand is that that's if we're going to boast, boast in the Lord in every area of your life. And then finally... The other thing that I, I really think we can take from these, these scriptures, these teachings, is that we have to be very careful with who we let speak into our lives. Be very careful that we're not bewitched or bewildered by what they're saying, that we're not led astray, that, some, that a silver tongue doesn't come in and get you believing something else. Because the truth is, is that, that, and I've said it multiple times through this series, is that uh, arguments can sound really good if you don't have all the information. So make sure that you're prepared. Make sure that you're spending time in the Word, that you're doing Bible studies, that you're spending time in prayer. Make sure that you know God's voice.
So that way you're not led astray by somebody else. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.